0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through his word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. If you have your Bible, please take it and turn to the book of James, Today we're going to take a look at the introductory words recorded in this great epistle from the brother, half brother albeit, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, James. I recently heard about a Sunday school class, it was a men's Sunday school class, and every week the teacher would ask someone or all to share their favorite verse of scripture. And every week, one man would stand if no one else did, and he quoted his favorite verse. The teacher also said, Would you please tell us where it's found in the Bible? He would begin by saying, This verse is found somewhere in the Old Testament. I just can't remember where. And then he would proceed to quote the verse, Grin and bear it. This man was familiar with the scriptures, and some of you are too, I can tell. This whole idea is certainly not in the scripture, but the question that I would like to raise today, and it's really not I who will raise it, it is the word of God and God himself who will address us, I believe, about this whole matter of life. Is life something that is to be endured or enjoyed? Think about that for a moment. For some of you here today, it's all you can do to grin and bear it. You are in a situation that is seemingly impossible for you. It's very painful. And you've asked the Lord, why Lord? Why are you allowing me to go through this situation? And there seems to be no answer for that, at least to this point. This morning hopefully will help you to understand why you're going through it and not only give you the capacity to endure it, but actually to enjoy life, not necessarily the circumstance, but enjoy the life that you have. I've already mentioned in passing this morning, the Bible says in the Psalms, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it. Well, rejoice not in the stuff that's in it necessarily, but in it. And who would be the object of our rejoicing? It would be the Lord himself, wouldn't it? I cannot help but think about the Apostle Paul, a man in his 60s, a man who was not well. He had problems with his eyes. The situation, the condition disfigured him. He was hard to look at. He was actually hard to listen to. We know that from something he writes to the Corinthian church. But this man, when he was in prison at the age of 60 plus, a man who was infirmed, this is what he says in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This is the same man who wrote in his first epistle that he wrote probably, the book of 1 Thessalonians, he writes these closing remarks. Praise the Lord forevermore. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. If you are in Jesus Christ, God's will for you is that you thank the Lord for everything. Come on, Paul. You mean I'm supposed to thank the Lord For things that I would see as negative and really are on the surface, if not under the surface, negative in my life? How do I do that? When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he was talking about what characterizes a Spirit-filled church, and remember that the whole is the sum of the parts. And if we are part of a Spirit-filled church, we are also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That sounds so mysterious and otherworldly, this idea of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Simply put, it means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. It means to be submitted to him in such a way that he dominates your life. And one of the evidences of the four evidences that Paul gives by that same spirit is that we are to always be given giving thanks. In everything. Now how is that possible? Well it's possible because God is the object of our rejoicing. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. We are to be men and women who find relief and release in the awareness that our God is a good God. He loves us and He's purposeful in what He does by allowing difficulty to enter our lives. The Bible says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can bank on it. God as your Father will cause everything to work for good in your life. It may not seem so immediately, There may be intervals on the journey where it seems like he has vacated the premises. But the reality is he's with us wherever we are. Our responsibility is to seek the Lord and his strength, to seek his face continually, to recognize that he's there even when we don't feel it and most especially when we don't feel like he's there. I'll never forget reading, and it dawning on me for the first time, about Samson. You remember Samson? Samson was a playboy deluxe. He was with woman one woman one day and another one the next, it seems, so the story goes. He was one of the judges of Israel. And Delilah was his downfall. He finally met a woman that he couldn't match. You remember what she kept hounding him About, Give me the secret of your strength. And he averted that. He gave her false information a couple of times. And finally, in a moment of great weakness, he said, okay, okay, I'm gonna tell you. And he told her, and then she responded by cutting off what would probably have been dreadlocks. And he was so worn out He didn't even move, evidently, when she was doing the deed. And the next thing he knew, he was awakened by her saying, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up. And this is what ran through his mind. Listen carefully. He said, I will do what I've always done in similar situations I will rise up and I will whip the Philistines. Read the story. And the scripture goes on to say that he said that not knowing that the Spirit of God had left him. He felt the same way then that he felt when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in other circumstances and he won miraculous victories. Supernatural power came upon him. But this time, he didn't feel any differently. But the Spirit of God was not with it. Please understand, when God is with us, we don't always know he's with us in our feelings, but be sure if you know him through Jesus Christ, he has come to indwell you. The Bible says if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. What do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And you are not your own. This is a wonderful relationship we have with God, isn't it? And he's with us. Some of you know the name C.S. Lewis. Most of you probably have heard it, know something about C.S. Lewis. Some of you have been impacted by his writings. I'm one such person. C.S. Lewis was influenced more than anyone else whose books he read. He read voraciously by a man named George MacDonald. I'm not sure Lewis ever actually met MacDonald face to face, but he read every one of the many volumes of literature that MacDonald wrote. MacDonald's favorite genre of writing were novels. He was a great novelist. He was a Scot and he was wonderful with words and he wove these beautiful stories And in one of those books, one of the characters, a young lady, says in a moment of despair in the presence of her mentor, she says, I wish I had never been made. And then her mentor said to her, my dear, you're not made yet. You're only being made. This is the maker's process in your life. Before we look at the text, let me go ahead and say this. I hope you know, and if you don't, you will, I believe, after we finish today, that the Lord not only can cause all things, even the bad things that happen to you in your life as His child, to turn out for good so that you will be molded more fully in the image of His Son, but what we know about the Lord, is that He actually is involved in the process. Four verses from the book of Psalms 119, 67, and 71, 75, and then 92. Listen carefully. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Wouldn't you say that would be an outcome that would be positive for you and me if, I have trouble, and I get some kind of action that I would consider afflicting happen to me. You plug in the scenario in your life. Think about something that you may be dealing with today or something that you have dealt with the past, in the past. And think about that. It was good for me that I was afflicted, the psalmist said. It was good because the Lord used that in my life. He says going on. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's good for me that I was afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. I could learn your word and I could learn who you are. And then he says in the 75th verse, he says, it was you, God, who afflicted me in this process. Now that does not quite fit our thinking about God. But God disciplines those whom he loves. A father, a mother who does not care enough about her children, I'm talking about on the physical realm, in the physical world, and doesn't discipline a child, that's no love, is it? You're really not loving your child if you don't cause him or her to behave, as we would say, or mind you. And our father is no different. We learn what fathering is intuitively being made in the image of God by what we see him doing. And then in Psalm 119.92, this is what the Bible says. It says, if your word, your law, actually had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Some of you may feel like you're on the edge of perishing because of the problem you have. You're thinking, I just can't take this anymore. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm done. Well, look, God knows that. And what we do know is that God is not going to allow you to be tempted and tried beyond what you can bear if you are His child. He is going to show you a way out. And what we're going to learn in this passage in the book of James and associated passages is that our God is purposeful in what He allows in our lives that's negative, and He uses those things to shape us into the image of His Son. Now let's read. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What are trials all about? This passage is very clear, I believe. First of all, I'm going to talk about what it's not about what they are not about, what God's not about in trials in our lives. Trials are not designed to cripple you. This was and is the prevailing attitude toward trials. We chafe under trials, and I don't want to make less of them than they are. They are difficult. We read from the 50th Psalm, and in that Psalm, God speaks about how we who are His children cry out to Him in trouble and He rescues us, delivers us from our situation. And then what do we do in response? We glorify or honor Him. That would include rejoicing in Him for sure. Consider it pure joy, this says, all joy when you face trials of many kinds. What doesn't appear to our English reading eyes would be apparent or ears would be apparent to those who first heard this letter, read, or read it and studied it themselves. This is what it literally means when it says, consider it all joy. Listen carefully. Start considering it all joy. That thought had not occurred to the audience that James wrote to, and it doesn't occur to us. We, like James readers, consider it pure hell sometimes. Do we not? When we encounter trials. Think about the types of trials that these people to whom this letter was first read and written, found themselves in. I'm just going to give you the references. We won't look at all of them, but in chapter two, verse five, what we learn is many of them were poor. Have any of you really been poor? Have you ever wondered where your next meal was going to come from? How you were going to pay the next bill that was going to come in the mail? Have you been there? That can be stressful for sure. And the fourth chapter in the 11th verse, we see that they were slandering each other. Hey, we've got enough problems with people outside the body of Christ criticizing us, do we not? To have to deal with criticism and slander and gossip and everything in the body of Christ, it's out of bounds. It does not belong. But they were dealing with this. Have you ever been cut down and cut to the quick by something someone said to you or you heard that they said about you or to you. This was part of the kind of dissonance that was characteristic of these people's lives. If we were to go to the fifth chapter, we would find that many of them were sick. Some of you are sick today. We prayed for people who are ill today. Sickness is no fun, is it? Well, that was part of their existence too. Also in that same chapter, we find that they were being persecuted in the 10th verse. It talks about this. Persecuted for their faith. That's not something that we look forward to. We know that Jesus says in this world, you will have tribulations. We know that Paul writes, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have a certain degree of rejection, persecution. In their lives, we know what it says, but that's no fun either, is it? And then they weren't being paid their wages. This goes right along with what we mentioned earlier in James 2, 5, where it's talking about many of them are poor. They would work, 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 and then the one who employed them would withhold the wage. Has that ever happened to you? Where you worked and worked, and you had been promised you would get paid, and you didn't get paid? That's tough, isn't it, to say the least? And in this passage, look at it again, verse two. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. We have all kinds of trials. They were having various kinds of trials. We've seen those, and we have similar trials and other kinds in addition to those. But the word which is translated encounter, the word encounter literally means surrounds you. They are surrounded by these various trials. Do you ever feel hemmed in by the negatives in your life? Do you feel hemmed in by those things? Well, this was true of them. As a result of our agonizing over our trials, we want to pull out and begin to continue, contrive rather, ways of getting ourselves out of trouble. We begin to figure out how we can extract ourselves, that's natural. But like an insect trapped in a spider's web, the harder we struggle, the more entangled we become. I think about the figure in the Old Testament whose story is told in the book of Genesis. It reaches a climax in the 32nd chapter of Genesis. His name was Jacob. Jacob, from the beginning of our acquaintance with him, seemed always to be conniving to make sure that he got his way. He was helped by his mother, by the way. But nevertheless, he'd spent 20 years in exile because he had stolen his brother's birthright and he had stolen his brother's blessing. And Esau was a man's man and they were reaching a point of reunion And he was very concerned about it. And he had a plan. He was sending his wives. He had four wives. He had 12 sons and one daughter. And he had the children behind their mothers. And he was sending them in four stages along with livestock. He had become very wealthy livestock. And the livestock were to be a peace offering he was giving to his estranged brother Esau. He didn't know what to expect. He probably thought he was going to be done for. Well, he sent them ahead. It got dark. He's alone on the bank of a river called Jabbok. Every sound he heard, he jumped undoubtedly, thinking maybe that's Esau. Maybe that's some men he sent to get me. And all of a sudden he saw a shadowy figure and he began to engage wrestling with this figure. And it turned out that this figure was none other than the angel of the Lord. And in fact, that would have been a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ coming to wrestle with him. And the result of that was that he was a broken man broken on the shoals of his own selfishness, his own commitment to run his own life. And he was a changed man. His work of trying to get out of this situation, he couldn't do it himself. God did it. Why? It was painful for this man, Jacob, but it was the thing that had to happen in order for him to become the person that God intended him to become, and he did. He lived the rest of his life with a, with a limp. His hip came out of socket. Have you ever seen anybody who has had their hip come out of socket? Oh my goodness. They writhe and whatever, and for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp because of that situation. As a reminder, don't buck God anymore like that because you don't have a chance if you're going against the Lord. The proper response to trying situations is to not give up. Let me give you an illustration or two of this. There's a man who is in his 90s. His name is Byron Janice. Some of you have heard of him. Mr. Janice at the apex of his abilities was one of the greatest solo pianists in the whole world. He could play Rachmaninoff and Mozart, Beethoven, and many others beautifully. When he was in his early 40s, nine of his five fingers became racked with not only pain, but also inability because he contracted psoriatic arthritis. He didn't tell anyone, he told three people, close people, his wife, Diana, and two close associates that it happened to him. He had surgery without letting anyone know other than that circle that he could trust to repair and work on his fingers and he adjusted his style of playing so that people when they heard him play, they could not tell, they had no idea. He didn't even tell about this until 12 years after it had occurred. And when he was asked, once he had made it public, uh, how did you do it, how did you manage He said, hope and will and faith. That's how we manage, that's how we hang in. Jeff Blatnick, the first American to win a gold medal in Greco-Roman wrestling. And in all weight classes, it was a super heavyweight. This was a giant of a man. But leading up to that Olympic in 1984, he developed cancer. He had worked all of his remembered life learning how to be in good shape, to develop his body with a goal to go to the Olympics and it all seemed to come crashing down. He underwent treatment, surgery, and he recovered well enough to win. When he was asked, how did you do it? He said, I learned from my losses, how to really live, is what he said. He was a man who hung in there. Beethoven, his name's already been mentioned today, but Beethoven, you remember, became deaf. And when he was told he was deaf, he said, I will grab life by the throat. Now, I don't know that Beethoven had any faith. He had a lot of faith in himself. But I don't know that he knew the Lord. Here's how we hang in there. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Look again at the text. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Endurance. That is what we must develop. This is what God wants us to do, to develop endurance. And the word which is translated endurance is a compound word in the New Testament language. The first part of that word, a standalone word, is the word under. And the second word is to live. When you put those together, what do you have? To live under. And that's what endurance means, to live under great pressure, and not to be defined by the pressure, but recognize there's purpose in the pressure. The purpose is to draw us nearer to the Lord, actually. And what could be bad about that? The Bible tells us that in His presence there is fullness of joy, and in His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We are about looking for fun and pleasure, aren't we? And that is not a bad thing, as long as it is not a distraction and a substitute for the better thing, the only thing that will never change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My circumstances are constantly changing. If I were to review yesterday, I don't even wanna go back there, frankly. There were a lot of good things, but there were some bad things too. I woke up this morning with the text and it hit me, it hurt me what I read. I could tell what the person was trying to say as I read between the lines. It hit me like a ton of bricks. But what we need to understand is all of that stuff, all of that cacophony and dissonance in our lives, all the disturbances, we can count it joy. Because the Lord will transform you and me as we relate properly to Him in submission to Him and we believe what He says and we obey what He says. What does He say? Count it all joy. Start counting it all joy. Because being bummed out about it is getting you nowhere. You can escape for a while through one method or another, but... They keep coming back, don't they? So how do we overcome? If we know Christ, we overcome by doing what we are told to do. There is an Eastern proverb that goes right along with this. And it says, there are only two which can surmount a pyramid, the eagle and the snail. The snail. Wow reminds me of what Charles Spurgeon said about the snail. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Can you imagine how long it took a snail to get into the ark? Unbelievable, unbelievable. The name Amy Carmichael may mean something to you. It's beside the point. She wouldn't care if anyone ever talked about her, if you know her life. She spent 55, uninterrupted years in India. She went there to serve the Lord as a missionary. She first thought she was going to serve him in Japan. Her health went bad. She went back to Great Britain. And then she got well enough, and then she goes to India to serve the Lord. Her heart was drawn toward a certain subset of the inhabitants. In the Hindu religion, young girls were brought by their parents and either given as a gift to the God that that temple was dedicated to or was sold. Can you imagine taking your little girl to give into the hands of wicked men who would use those children for prostitution? And when she saw that, she was appalled. And she rescued the first girl. Her name was Prina. And Prina came and Prina was scared and she was disturbed for obvious reasons, but she soon grew to be more and more relaxed. And when she was asked, what is it about Ama?" which in Hindi means mama. What is it about Amma that is so important to you? And she simply said, on behalf not only of her, but other young ladies who had come, who had been rescued, she said, Amma loves us. She went there and she lived that life. The last 20 years of her life, she was bedridden for 20 years. a young lady who was aspiring to be a missionary wrote a letter having heard about her accomplishments and simply said, Miss Carmichael, can you tell me what a missionary is? Let me read to you what she said. Simple sentence. Amy Carmichael wrote back and said, Being a missionary is simply a chance to die. There's a book by that title, A Chance to Die, written by Elizabeth Elliot that tells her story. She didn't die physically through persecution, but the point being is Jesus Christ says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to die to our own will in order to follow the Lord. And by the way, that is a good thing because we become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ when we do just that. So, trials are not designed to cripple you. Trials really, we're going to see in a moment, can become your ally. What we know about trials is that without them, there is no growth. Let's look at verse four of James and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, let me ask you, would anybody in this room answer this question for me by raising your hand? If you were perfect, raise your hand. There's still work to be done, right? Right. Well, none of us will be perfect in this life because we still have our own flesh to deal with, but we can move in the direction of biblical concept of perfection. The word translated perfect here is not the word which means flawless. It means functionally perfect. Perfect in the sense that you are doing what you were created to do. Now, let me illustrate this. I could have two bananas in my hand here and one of them, to look at it on the outside, you see no bruising, no blemish on the outside. We might say, that's a perfect banana. In the other hand, I might have a banana which is bruised. Maybe it's ripened a bit and the peeling has begun to darken If I were to eat either of those bananas or both of them, I would get the same nutritional value out of both. The one that is bruised or ripening too far, if I eat it, it's going to accomplish its purpose. The only kind of people whom God has to use are people who are bruised but are not defined by the bruising. They are changed by the bruising because they've yielded themselves to the Lord. They have known the joy of the Lord in the midst of their difficulties. And what we know from the book of 2 Corinthians, the Bible says, Paul says this. He says, our God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we can be used by him to comfort others in their affliction, whatever kind there is. The kind of person that can help me when I'm hurting, when I'm suffering, either emotionally or physically or any other way, spiritually, is a person who's been there, done that, yielded to the Lord, learned the secret of rejoicing in the Lord always, counting it all joy. And that person is a person who is mature. Mature people aren't know-it-alls. In fact, a mature person will probably not even claim to be mature. We're just not. Because why? We know we've got more growing to do. We know we don't always rejoice in the Lord when things go wrong. But it's becoming more and more the major theme of our lives when we face these kind of difficulties. for look at it again, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word complete is the same word that's used by Luke in Luke 3.16. When there's this lame man, you remember that Peter saw this lame man, Peter and John were in the temple, and this man said, Please give me some gold or silver if you have any. He says, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I'm gonna give to you. Rise up and walk. He rose up and walked. And Luke describes his healing as being complete. You and I can get well over being in the dumps all the time. Over being governed by our trouble. By being men and women who really learn to rejoice in the Lord. Do you want to grow spiritually? Then recognize, recognize trials for what they are. They are our allies. Thomas Edison, we have a lot to owe him in terms of the things which he developed. The microphone which we're using today, he was the inventor of it. Some of you have missed going to the movies for the last several months, and some of you are venturing out. Well, he was the one who developed the capacity to film movies. He was an incredible man. It's been suggested that he came up with like 8,000 different inventions. I haven't invented one thing. (laughs) I've torn up a lot of things, but I've never invented anything. Wow, 8,000. On December the 14th, 1914, in his plant in upstate New York, where he was doing all kinds of experiments, a spontaneous combustion erupted in the area where the film was being stored. And the whole plant went up in flames. It was just a, just a voracious fire and just wiped everything out in a matter of minutes, really. Eight different neighboring towns sent their fire departments. Now remember, this is 1914. To try to put out the fire, the water pressure was too low to get much effect. And by the time they'd gotten there, it was too late. The son of Edison was frantically looking for him. He couldn't find his father. He was fearful that he had been consumed by the flames. He was looking for them. All of a sudden, he saw him coming out of the dark silhouetted by the light against the dark and his 67 year old father was running and he came up to his son, 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 where is your mother? He said, dad, I don't know. I think she's at home. Well, go tell her and tell her to get here. This fire is unlike any fire she will ever see the rest of her life. That dude was crazy, wasn't he? Unbelievable. And so I guess she came But he assembled all the employees. They were downcast. They were worried about their own futures. They were concerned about all the work they'd put in to do certain inventions. And when he got everyone into one area, he says, we're rebuilding. That's what he said. We're going to build on the ruin of this building. And we're going to do better things and bigger things as a result. And he did, by the way. He did. Now, not all of us, none of us in this room is a genius like he was. Let's just be honest. He was a genius. But he had that rare combination of not only being a genius. Most geniuses are very melancholy. But he was big time optimistic, wasn't he? And he didn't give up. We cannot give up. Since trials are our allies, then we can meet them with joy. In the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. To the uninformed reader, James may be considered a naive romanticist or maybe even a sadomasochist at best when he says, consider it pure joy. Is joy what Karl Marx described it as being as it relates to the Christian life? Is Christianity the opium of the people? Is something made up by religious people like me just to keep you at a place of equanimity in your life where you can continue to live and not be crushed by life? Joy is realizing that God is in control. And even the stresses of life are able to turn out for your advantage. And more importantly, for His advantage. Because we do ourselves a great disservice if we don't recognize that our allegiance must be to Him. Above all else, there's no satisfaction apart from being a woman or a man who yields to the Lord. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. There's where the satisfaction comes. It comes in our relationship to the Lord. We need to understand that this life that God has given us is a life to be enjoyed and more importantly to enjoy him in it and from that gives us the capacity to enjoy every body in it and everything that we're given to enjoy but it's to be endured too I began by asking the question is life to be endured or enjoyed the answer is yes (laughs) isn't it And until we learn to rejoice in the Lord in it, we'll have problems. And I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty. I'm reading from St. Augustine's Confessions. He's saying this to God. Listen to what he says. I love the transparency of Augustine. And you know, we who know Jesus, we're not going to say things are easy when they're not. We're gonna tell others about our hardships. That's important because when we do show joy in the face of our hardships, the backdrop is a backdrop of God's sovereignty in our peace that he gives. Listen to what Augustine wrote. My sorrows are evil and they are at strife with joys that are good. And I cannot tell which will gain the victory. He wasn't even sure about it for himself. Have pity on me, Lord, in my misery. I do not hide my wounds from you. I am sick and you are the physician. You are merciful. I have need of your mercy. Is not our life on earth a period of trial? For who would wish for hardship and difficulty? You command us... To endure these troubles, not to love them. No one loves what he endures, even though he may be able to endure it. For though he may rejoice in his power of endurance, he would prefer, prefer that there should be nothing for him to endure. That's heaven, actually. No more sorrow, no more pain. But we have a slice of heaven now if we know the Lord. And we can have that. It's not an escape. It's more real than what we escape to in this life. And then I would like to read, on top of having read something from Augustine, Augustine, rather. I'm going to read a poem that Amy Carmichael wrote. Listen carefully. Sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won through step by step. Listen carefully. By little bits of wills, little denials of self, little inward victories, by faithfulness in very little things. They became what they are. No one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There's no sudden triumph, no spiritual maturity, That is the work of the moment. It's a life. That's what it is. It's a life yielded to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives. We know that we have been saved from our sin in an instant. Thank you that we read about it in Romans, therefore, having been justified by faith through grace in the work of the Lord. We have peace with you, God. Thank you for the peace that is only found in our yielding ourselves to you. And help us to continue to grow, Lord. Please make our church not a superficially joyful church, but a deeply joyful church a church which can praise you through tears when we are hit like a ton of bricks by the troubles that are part of a fallen world at the hands of an enemy who is determined to destroy the church. Thank you that we are more than conquerors through you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great week.